0: There are a number of fighters who paved the way for other athletes throughout boxing history. They changed the landscape and created opportunities by simply being brave enough to do it first and endure the hard stuff. The first was Jack Johnson, and I'm not just talking about him being the first African-American heavyweight champion. I'm talking about his understanding of the sport as an athlete, as an entertainer, and as a trailblazer. You see, early on, he understood that he'd never be embraced by the masses. He would be loved and revered by his own people. He would be respected by true boxing purists. He would even be admired by the few non-racist sports enthusiasts that existed back then. But he also understood that a majority of white America would pay money to watch him, but only in the hopes of seeing him lose. For that, though, they would pay lots of money, and a good portion of it went into Johnson's pockets. The champ caught on to that early on and dictated how he played the game on his terms. The formula, the blueprint he created, would then work for decades after for Muhammad Ali and, most recently, Floyd Mayweather. You know, realistically, Floyd could barely fill an arena in his hometown of Michigan when he was knocking out guys and building his career under the nickname of Pretty Boy. But that changed when he became Money Mayweather and started to become a more controversial figure, flaunting his wealth, his success, and applauding his own business savvy. Even the idea of exhibitions, people seem to think is a a new Mayweather concept, but they really began with Jack Johnson, who fought three exhibitions in 1944, and finally stepped back into the ring one last time on November 27, 1945, at the age of 67. So anyway, back to Jack. Overall, the Galveston Giant was an athlete who wasn't afraid to buck the system, be himself, and dictate his own destiny. He didn't downplay his success to appease the white establishment. Instead, he dressed fashionably outside the sport, parading his wealth and success for everyone to see. He wore robes that were fit for a king. They were elaborately adorned and tailored, not like previous fighters who entered the ring in what closely resembled a bathrobe. He openly dated and associated with white women outside the ring and arrogantly taunted his opponents inside of it. He crossed racial lines, even moving into an all white neighborhood in Bakersville, California with his second white wife. He continually showcased his success to the press who outwardly hated on him, but they also sold a ton of papers because of him. Part of it was to demonstrate that he wouldn't be kept in his place. And another was to show black Americans at the time that it was possible to succeed in a white man's world and provide a struggling generation with hope. Stylistically, as a fighter, Johnson tended to lay back and bait his opponents, use his range, and tie them up to gain position. No one had done that much before, but rather than being embraced for his ring generalship, he was criticized for it. It was labeled cowardly instead of cunning, but it was definitely cunning and nothing less than groundbreaking or genius. So let's skip to October 16, 1909, where a crowd of 10,000 spectators gathered in Colmo, California to watch the Galveston Giant battle one of the greatest middleweights of all time, Stanley, the Michigan assassin, Ketchell. The story goes something like this. The two agreed to fight a 20-round bout. Ketchell needed the money, the public was struggling to find a worthy white hope, and in getting 65% of the gross receipts, it would likely be a good, easy payday for Johnson. It was... It was believed that Ketchell didn't really pose much of a threat to the much bigger heavyweight champion who had 35 pounds on him. There are lots of stories about it being an exhibition and Ketchell betraying their agreement when he landed a sneaky punch that dropped Johnson in the 12th. But all you have to do is watch the video of the fight and you can clearly see that Johnson toyed with the much smaller man while Ketchell tried desperately throughout the fight to land a haymaker he finally did in the 12th round, that angered Johnson, who got up immediately and decided to close the show. He was obviously shook, but likely also embarrassed, so he immediately came back with a short left hook and a straight right hand with all of his weight behind it. Ketchel was down, and minus a few teeth that were firmly lodged in Johnson's glove. You know, It's unclear if the teeth part really happened, but that's the story, and it does appear that Johnson could be seen brushing his gloves as he moves to the ropes while the referee counts Ketchel out. Believable, considering that Johnson hit him so hard that he actually stumbled over Ketchell's prone body. Finally, what remains in one of the biggest upsets in sports history is Johnson's loss to Jess Willard on April 5th, 1915. Indicative of Johnson's entire career, even that was controversial. Willard had a powerful right hand. He weighed 240 pounds, stood six feet, six inches tall, and had a reach of 83 inches. But in spite of that, No one really gave the Pottawatomie Giant much of a chance. The bout was scheduled for 45 rounds and was held in Oriental Park in Havana, Cuba on an absolutely scorching hot day. Johnson started fast and dominated the first 20 rounds. But at that point, the tide began to turn. Johnson's jovial demeanor faded away, and he became visually fatigued. In the 26th round, Willard pursued, landed several hard shots before finally connecting with an overhand right to Johnson's chin, dropping him flat on his back. And here's where the controversy kicks in, because as he lay on the canvas, Johnson draped his right arm across his face to shield his eyes from the sun. That's what Johnson claims and clearly demonstrates that he threw the fight, because he was obviously aware and conscious enough to do that. Although not right away, but in time, Johnson said that he threw the match in order to be able to return to the US and avoid criminal charges. He also claimed that he waited until the 26th round because he was waiting for a sign from his wife that she had been given an agreed upon sum of $50,000 to give up the crown. You know, it's purely speculative, and I'm a big Jack Johnson fan, but I think several factors just don't add up. First of all, Johnson clearly had Willard hurt in many of the previous rounds, to the point where the referee, Jack Welch, later stated... In the 13th and 14th, I was almost sure Johnson would knock Willard out, but Willard showed that his jaw and body were too tough. Johnson put up a wonderful fight to the 20th round, but Age stepped in and then defeated him. He even claimed that he personally witnessed Johnson bet money on himself to win. Second, I think even a semi-conscious fighter would have the wherewithal to shade his eyes from the sun. Plus, around the count of three, you can clearly see Johnson's legs droop to the mat in complete resignation. So, Although it's questionable, I don't think based on facts and video footage that Johnson threw the fight. What I do believe is it just came down to constant battles with the law, running for persecution, his age, enjoying the good life, maybe even overconfidence versus a big, young, durable fighter, and it all just took its toll and caught up with the champion. In any case, for me, it just adds to Johnson's mystique and remarkable story. That's not the end of Johnson's story, though. After returning to the U.S., Johnson was sentenced to serve time in Leavenworth, Kansas, for violating the Mann Act. Johnson's crime was that he traveled across state lines with his white girlfriend, Lucille Cameron, for immoral purposes. Johnson entered the state penitentiary in September 1920 as inmate 15461. In spite of what was obviously a racially based abuse of judicial power, the Galveston giant decided to make good use of his time. In the few months that Johnson spent behind bars, he worked on and patented an innovative new tool. It was a vast improvement over previous, more primitive models and put adjustability at every worker's fingertips. On April 18, 1922, Jack Johnson patented the wrench. His design was unique because it could be easily taken apart for cleaning or repair, and its gripping action was better than other tools on the market at the time. He is also credited for coining the term wrench which ends up being just another testament to Jack Johnson's ability to turn any situation into his favor. After his incarceration, Johnson would then go on to return to the ring for 11 more professional boxing matches from 1923 to 1931, and finally retired at the age of 53. As we wrap up this Focus on the Fighter episode, I want to end it with a quote that I love. Maybe it was for PR purposes. Maybe it was him speaking profound truth. Maybe it was just his way of wishing something better into reality. In any case, it could be good words worth living by. Johnson said, I have found no better way to avoid race prejudice than to act with other races as if prejudice never existed. In any case, he lived his life in it, found a way to rise above it, and flourished within a sport and a world that simply couldn't deny his greatness. Thank you for watching this episode of Title Unboxed. If you're anything like me, you can never get too much boxing. So if you'd like to watch more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on our Title Boxing YouTube page.